The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I shall be gentle with you. Who are you? Your slave. One who admires you from afar and cannot find even in heaven more majesty than I see before me. You are a god. Indeed. I am the king of gods and yet I am your slave. I am Zeus. I am the inevitable. I am Welcome everyone, it is Thursday, July 21st, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for the next hour of discussion, which is not right wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes, everything will be I am Zeus. I am the inevitable. I am the irresistible, quote-unquote. Those apparently are among the qualities necessary and what makes a great president, according to our guest again, who joins us for I don't know how many times. Welcome back, Salim Mansour, to our show today. Thank you, Bob. And it's funny, you and I had a conversation before we got together today, and you mentioned that events are overtaking us. You've only been, it's only been four weeks since you were last on the show, and considering all the things that have happened during that time. We, of course, have Cleveland's GOP convention, which we'll certainly be talking about. And since talking to you last, there has been the Brexit situation. Britain has a new prime minister. There's been an attempted coup in Turkey. The killings in Nice, France, Orlando, and Dallas. The Chilcot Report. What else have I forgotten in this whole list? It's just happened in the last the few Saudi, weeks. Saudi Arabia's involvement in the 9-11 attacks on the United States in 2011. Yes, it's uh, and, and probably a few things that we haven't gotten in. We'll, we'll see how many of these things we can get into the, to, to today's conversation. But first, our usual reminder that our listeners can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, and listen to us, or visit us rather, at www.justrightmedia.org. Dot org, where, of course, you can listen to us. Well, Salim, here we go again, and it's the final round for the Trump camp. You, you basically believe there's going to be President Donald Trump we'll be looking at pretty soon. Is that correct? Well, my money, if I was gambling, would be that Donald Trump would be, will be the 45th president elected in November, inaugurated in January. But today, Donald Trump had been officially nominated as the Republican candidate for the 2016 election. And it is most interesting, Bob, if you look back Hmm. the past year, how we have arrived today, uh, Thursday, July 21st, and how all of this has unfolded in a world that is truly fluid, truly uncertain. And the issues that have all come together, as Trump has now said and his people have said, that he will be the law and order president, which mean in effect that things have broken down. There has been a mighty big crack up 
in terms in, of law and order. In, in, in terms of world politics, mm -hmm. in, terms in terms of global of the politics. GOP, uh, in terms of GOP establishment as well. In terms of GOP establishment, in GOP politics, American politics, global politics. Right here in Canada, we had an election in this period, if you go back only eight months ago or so. So there has been a huge crack up. You mentioned uh, what has happened in uh, Britain, mm -hmm. the Brexit. Nobody could have anticipated that or nobody anticipated that. As a matter of fact, the anticipation was against Brexit. Everybody was the, assuming that the polls were, you know, were right and that they would not vote to leave. Absolutely. David Cameron put his job on the line mm -hmm. by calling the referendum uh, almost certain that people in Britain will decide to stay in the European Union. But uh, the result has thrown everything up in the air. The whole European Union project of the last 50 years, you might say, is up in the air right now with all of that. The huge uh, uh, immigration wave, what I might call the invasion that has taken place, and that is affecting through not only Europe, but in North America. The signature item of Trump's campaign when he began summer of 2015 was that he's going to build the wall, immigration. And that issue has held right up to now. So there's a huge crack up and we might want to reflect upon it. I might add quickly one other point. Trump nominated today is the oldest candidate ever in American politics that have been nominated for the presidency. Seriously? If he gets, yeah, if he gets elected president, then he will be the oldest man elected president. Reagan held the record. Reagan was nominated when he was 69, turning 69. Trump turned 70 this past June. But the point here is interesting that Trump, it belongs to that generation that has now superannuated and is going away. That is the Vietnam generation. Mm -hmm. Trump came of age. He was a young man when the Vietnam War started. He didn't go to Vietnam. Uh, neither did Bill Clinton and many others, but that's the generation, and now he's still 70. I might suggest to you, Bob, that the election of Trump as the Republican nominee is also a closing of the chapter on the Vietnam generation and an entirely new opening up of the GOP and American politics for a whole new generation. The irony, of course, being that Trump is the last of That's that generation. That's what I was just going to mention. Here you have the 70-year-old who yeah. was from that previous, exactly. quote, generation. Exactly. You, you wrote in a, in a memo to Robert and I that politics on a mega stage, and there's no larger one than the U.S. presidential politics, is first and foremost to play with the starring role that, that befits an actor who plays Zeus among mortals. You, you, you pointed out how... Trump could be that person, and you listed a bunch of uh, failed presidents, including, I was surprised at your list, Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, George Herbert Walker Bush, uh, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama. These are the are the failed presidents. The midget figures, he calls them, Bob. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite aptly. Well, and, I was, and, and that the great presidents were Washington, Lincoln, uh, Franklin, Roosevelt, Eisenhower, and Reagan. Yeah, I, I was pointing out the, among the midget presidents, that's right, I mean, and, uh, the, the great presidents and the midget president, the failed president, during my lifetime, 
So that's yeah. okay. Again, in your lifetime, yeah, that's a given. 40, okay. 40 years, I was going back to the 1976 uh, Republican National Convention and looking forward. Fair President Gerald Ford, you know, didn't win his election. Well, I don't election. think Washington and Lincoln were around in your lifetime. <laughs> it's the good presidents, but you <laughs> named them. The midget so, figures. Yeah, yeah. All the midget ones were. Yeah. Now, now, Salim, you've written an article in American Thinker uh, this past Sunday, July 17th, and it's a fascinating read and a look back at history. You've compared this GOP convention, or the whole um, never-Trump movement at least, to the 1976 convention of President, then-President Ford with the up-and-coming Ronald Reagan. And during that particular convention, of course, Reagan lost to Ford by a very slim margin, which was the result of the GOP establishment, the heft of the establishment, allowed Ford to win the nomination, and he then lost the election to Jimmy Carter, and then the rest, as you say, is history. What happened next, of course, was you had the fall of the Shah of Iran, Islamic takeover of Iran, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, and all of that Islamic movement, the dominoes started to fall in Iran, in Kuwait, and the whole world now is seeing the result of this one kernel of history, which was the GOP establishment putting in their candidate against an upstart. Parallel? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, what I was pointing out in the larger context and that history is paradoxical and it is paradoxical because none of us know what the unintended consequences of our decision is. Each one of us, we make a decision with an objective in mind and we seek to consummate that objective from an individual life, falling in love, consummating that relationship and going forward. Nobody at that moment anticipate what will come 30 years later. Children, grandchildren, mortgage payment and all of that, unemployment, employment, sickness, disease and so on and so forth. If one thought about that, no one would fall in love. Well, I would suggest though that even if, <laughs> even if the, uh, the Ford supporters, even if the Ford supporters in 76 had known all about what would happen if yes. they re-elected Ford, I'd probably suggest that they'd still vote for Ford because their candidate got no, power. No, no, and that's it's all about no, no, correct. People. The point is that we always understand history in retrospect, mm-hmm. but we live history in prospect. So going into the 1976 Republican National Convention, that was the bicentennial year, 40 years ago. Well, what was the context of that bicentennial election? The Vietnam War had just ended. It was the most divisive issue in American politics. There was the whole civil rights movement that had been divisive. Presidents had been assassinated. There had been violence. There was the Watergate scandal and the history of American politics. A sitting president resigned and left. Ford pardoned Nixon. So there was that cloud hanging over his Mm -hmm. head. Ford, as I point out, was Nixon administration without Nixon. So this was a damaged presidency. Ford was a damaged presidency. The policies were all shattered. And Reagan's campaign in 76 was the insurgency campaign, the outsider. He challenged the keystone or the signature item of Nixon-Ford policy, which was detente. Yes. Kissinger was the Secretary of State. He challenged that. He said that we are bending too much to accommodate the Soviet Union instead of defending the freedom of the people 
behind the Iron Curtain. Could he three years later, three years later, by the way, Bob, sorry to interrupt, no, okay. uh, uh, Reagan would go on Brandenburg, Berlin, and he would say there, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, yeah. right? So he was the insurgency president. The, as you point out correctly, which was in my article, the Republican establishment, despite all that was there on the table, and by the way, both Ford and Nix, uh, Reagan arrived in Kansas City, where the Republican convention was, neither having the majority of candidates, neither of them having the delegates. Both of them were short for delegates. So the strong arm pressure that the establishment put on the delegates coming in gave Ford the nomination. And then he lost the election, and then the rest is history. That's what I was pointing out. Well, there's so many parallels, but could you make this one more parallel? The detente, the policy of the detente of Nixon towards the Soviet Union, one of what I would suggest is appeasement. Could that be parallel today with the uh, view from the Democrats um, against Islamism? Is that, a, is that a, an Islamic detente that we're experiencing here that could get Trump elected to, no. to counter it? I, I, I would say you're right. I would say you're absolutely right. Trump is the only man who, who came out during the Republican primary. You remember, there were 17 of them, including 16. Trump was the guy who said, ban the Muslim from coming into America. Build a wall. We're going to take on the ISIS. The others were all skating gingerly because they wanted to be politically correct. Yes, yes, it is detente. Reagan's strategy for an end game to the Cold War was that there would be no coexistence. What we needed to see was the destruction of the Soviet Union. At the center of power in Washington, we have now witnessed the rise of a new hostility towards... The administration's strategy would harden the anti-war left and lead in 1984 to a political showdown. He said that these missiles were less dangerous than ballistic missiles because you could fire them and you could recall them if you decided there had been a miscalculation. Every election with an incumbent president is a referendum on that president's performance. Mr. President, your rebuttal. With regard to whether Mr. Mondale would be strong as he said he would be, I know that he has a commercial out where he is appearing on the deck of the Nimitz and watching the F-14s take off, and that's an image of strength except that if he had had his way when the Nimitz was being planned, he would have been deep in the water out there because there wouldn't have been any Nimitz to stand on. He was against it. <laughs> he was against the F-14 fighter. He was against the M-1 tank. He was against the B-1 bomber. He wanted to cut the salary of the, all of the military. He wanted to bring home half of the American forces in Europe. And he has a record of weakness with regard to our national defense that is second to none. Mr. Kalb, your question to President Reagan. You've been quoted as saying that you do believe deep down that we are heading for some kind of biblical Armageddon. Your Pentagon and your Secretary of Defense have plans for the United States to fight and prevail in a nuclear war. Do you feel that we are now heading perhaps for some kind of nuclear Armageddon? And do you feel that this country and the world could survive that kind of calamity? 
With regard to having to say whether uh, we would try to survive in the event of a nuclear war, of course we would. But let me also point out that to several parliaments around the world, in Europe and in Asia, I have made a statement in e to each one of them, and I'll repeat it here. A nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. On election day, the American people passed judgment on Ronald Reagan's ideas and elected him with the greatest landslide in American history. For Walter Mondale, it was the end of the line. But for Ronald Reagan, the end game had begun. So we before our break there, you were talking about unintended consequences that we... Are, are you really... Do you really mean unintended or, or would the, a, a more accurate word be unforeseen? Because intentions cross many uh, paths. I think that if you have two conflicts or two people in conflict, they each have intentions. They don't know which one of them may win that conflict, but the one that wins will have their intentions met while the one who loses may not have their intentions met. And, of course, there are all sorts of unforeseen circumstances surrounding us that we cannot know because we have no means of knowing them. I just found it interesting that you said, you said earlier that if people had known what you know romance and love was about and all that stuff, then maybe they wouldn't want to fall in love. And you, you said in, in one of your previous uh, correspondence with us that your favorite example was from the Homeric Tales. Helen of Sparta, the most beautiful woman of her time in Paris. How, how does that relate to your message? Well, here it is. I mean, that the example yeah. that, that you're picking because up Because that's on, a classic. Uh, and, and, you know, literature uh, has the best insight into politics. It seems there was a poet, I think it was uh, Shelley, who had said, uh, 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 fiction is stranger than, uh, truth is stranger, truth is stranger than, than fiction. fiction. Yeah. But you might almost reverse it and say, Truth is trying to catch up with fiction. <laughs> mm. well, <laughs> the, 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 what the poets imagine. So the story of the, the greatest story in the Western civilization is the Homeric Tales, Odyssey and Iliad. Well, where does the story begin from? Paris of Troy sees Helen of Sparta and falls in love and abducts her. Mm -hmm. And that unleashes, and that's the unintended consequence. That's not the unforeseen consequences. It is the unintended, because the intended consequence was to fall in love and abduct her for himself. The unintended was that he unleashed a series of wars, the devastating wars of Greece and Troy so that became, led to the destruction of Troy. She became the face that launched a the, thousand, the thousand ships, ships meaning burned, warships. <laughs> that's right, and burned the topless towers of Ilium, you know. So that that is what happened. Isn't it odd, or ironic, I guess, and here are parallels happening again, that Sparta is in Greece, well, common day Greece, yes. Troy it was in Turkey, Turkey. common day Turkey. <laughs> yes, that's right. And so they're actually they're just across the uh, the sea from each other. That's right. And what do we have today? We have revolt in Turkey. We have um, all of the immigrants going over to uh, to Greece yes. across the very same sea. And so it continues and continues that this is a very hot spot of world events right there from, from Helen of Sparta so. to, to today. It has been so because it is the crossroad of civilization and of continents. Look at it. It's the hinge. Europe, Africa, the Asia. Bosphorus, and the a Bosphorus, very different, um, different uh, cultures from each other. The mixing over there. Yes. Bosphorus separating continents, the Dardanelles in World War One. Right. You know, it's a 
constant. It's a volatile place, yes. an absolute volatile place, has been so. Now, would you say that Ronald Reagan, when with his plans towards the Soviet Union and what he was doing, would he have reached his intended consequences? Yes, he did, because Soviet Union collapsed. I mean, he built up the military, United States, you know, he invested in, he talked about Star Wars, you know, he he, he built up the 600-ship uh, Navy and so on, and the Soviet Union could not keep up with it. That was the economic side of it, that they could not compete with. But the unintended side of, of Reagan was that Reagan invested with the Afghan, when the Soviet had moved into Afghanistan as a result of Carter policy. And he started investing in Afghanistan to get the Afghans fight the Soviet Union. That was to reverse the Vietnam, that Afghanistan would be Soviet Union's Vietnam, which it turned out to be. But what was the unintended consequence? <laughs> he armed the, the Islamic insurgents, is exactly, what he did. <laughs> the intended consequences mean that the objective was consummated. The unintended consequences, 40 years later, we're dealing with the jihadis, the Islamists, which was, the cradle was Afghanistan, and the Americans had invested in them. Yes. The, the Saudis had invested in them. Now, you see, you, you mentioned, Bob, uh, Robert, about the 28 pages that has come out. Mm -hmm. And what does those 28 pages are showing? That the Saudi officials in the United States were directly in touch with the hijackers of the 9-11 plane that brought down the Twin Towers in, in uh, New York. Well, right? it's highly suggestive that they aided and, ab aided and abetted Well, that's attack. precisely the point, that they were direct. And so why was the, 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 the big question is, is like the Sherlock Holmes question, Hounds of Baskerville, why didn't the... The, the dogs bark. Why didn't the buck dog bark yeah, in the night? Yeah, yes. exactly. So why was this 28? Well, this goes back to the entire history of the 20th century after the end of World War One till 9-11 when the Western powers, starting off with the United States, embraced the enemy. Who is the enemy? Wahhabism, Islamism, Saudi Arabia what I would call the tar baby. When you embrace the tar baby, what happens? You cannot <laughs> separate yourself from the tar. The tar baby clings to you. Well, this is what... Why, why, this, why wouldn't the United States, having known that, take a retaliatory action of some sort? Well, it... They didn't go to Saudi Arabia. No, they protected it because okay. the whole question opens up now. I mean, this is the debate which opened up with with uh, uh, Trump when Trump said, you know, going into Iraq was wrong. You know, relationship with Saudi Arabia is wrong. That you have, you guys have done it. Who is he accusing? He's accusing his the Republican leadership, but he's also on the other side is the Democratic leadership. That is going back to eighty years of twentieth century history. A lot of American establishment figures on the Democrat and the Republican side, including media people, academia, on and on, who have made lots of money out of the petrodollars from Saudi Arabia. And, that and for them to now disown, it is, like, it is like alcohol anonymous to say, you know, I was an alcoholic, and to walk out and to take responsibility. So this Islamism doesn't simply come around because of Islam. This is what I have been pointing out. This, is, this Islamism itself is a perversion of Islam. But who embraced this perverted ideology of Islam in the, to begin with? It was embraced by the Americans. 
It was look who has now financed, which is what well, Trump you, Trump pointed out. Just hold on, Trump pointed out who is now financing Iran with a nuclear weapon to get the nuclear weapon. What is the Iran deal? And and going back to 1979, which is where you picked up on my American Thinker article, the Shah's revolution. Shah was the closest ally of the United States. The defeat of Shah was the triumph of the. Islamist, the first Islamist triumph. Well, 40 years later, what did we do with that, with that power? Obama administration, including Republican leadership, voted for allowing to end the sanction on Iran, to give the pass to Iran. How soon people forget? I mean, it's so vivid in my memory, the day that Reagan was inaugurated as president of the United States was the day that the Iranian revolutionaries gave up the hostages because they would not give them up under Carter because Carter was a sap. But Reagan was a strong man who would actually do something about uh, the the hostages. So they gave them up on the very day, almost the very hour that he was inaugurated. Exactly. So it remains to be seen whether Trump, if elected president, would be as strong as a Reagan in dealing with Islamism. Well, that we, again, it will be retrospective look what he does. But the point is that the Trump candidacy and the Trump winning the nomination is the closing of the book and the accounting of the book. History is also, you know, auditing and accounting. Trump campaign is the auditing and accounting of not only the last 40 years, but it is going to be the beginning of the accounting of the 20th century politics. Hey, I have a, an unsubstantiated theory, Bob, to your question. Why did they go into Iraq rather than bomb or invade the real cause, which would have been either Iran or Saudi Arabia? And if you think about it, and again, so totally unsubstantiated, even though they knew that the Saudi government was directly involved in the attacks of 9-11, if Saudi Arabia had said to Bush at the time that, look, we can attack you anytime we want, Here's an example. Now, what we want you to do is to go into Iraq and get these pests off our back. Because Iraq, if people forget, Iraq actually sent Scud missiles into Saudi Arabia during the first Gulf War. And rather than take them on themselves, they had the United States do it as puppets of Saudi Arabia. Unsubstantiated, perhaps, conspiracy theory, perhaps, I don't know. I actually actually asked a similar question of John Thompson many, many years ago. um, And and I I remember him stopping short for a second, but then rejecting the notion, although I don't recall the reasons. But it certainly leaves one wondering what was motivating America at the time. Was it ignorance? Was it the hope? Was it a hope for a a, a kinder, gentler Islamist? uh, Look, at every stage in historical situation, there are large themes that channel the events or, or understanding of the events. The 20th century history was shaped by two big factors. One was the Russian Revolution, the rise of communism that threatened the heart of Europe. And you can see, you can map it. The Cold War, the containment, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, the opposition to China, all of that begins with 1917 and is a chain of events. The other big issue that shaped 20th century history, politics, our lives, you and I are sitting here, in, in a summer, in a room that is air-conditioned, was energy. 
and the energy was oil. And the fluke of geography made the Persian Gulf region to have the most accessible oil. And so to protect that basin of oil, the Persian Gulf was the driving narrative, the driving policy of the Western powers. It was Britain first, as Britain shifted from coal-driven naval fleet, you know, rule Britannia, the Navy, from coal-driven uh, naval ships to oil-driven naval ship. Winston Churchill was the first lord of the uh, admiralty when this happened. And then after Britain came America in 1945. So there is, one doesn't have to look at all the other aspects. You know, there are relationships, as I said, marriage. Marriage leads to all sorts of other things. But it begins with a romance. It will begin by looking into each other's eyes. In the case of 20th century politics, the looking into each other's eye was communist revolution and the energy needs. And we are, in a sense, closing the chapter. It so happens that we are closing the chapter with the Trump nomination. We look for bookmarks to end the discussion. So the bookmark, yeah. America is now oil independent. The fact is that Obama did not want to go in that direction with fracking and, and all of that. You know, and, the, and, and not allowing Keystone, Keystone XL. Keystone, yeah. exactly. So the Persian Gulf can now be, it, it doesn't matter in that Relevant, sense. Yeah. You know, it, it is a headache now for the Europeans. It is a headache for the Japanese. But it's not a headache for the Americans. And Trump is saying, we are going to be America first. We're going to look after our interests. Cold War is over. Cold War was over. My students who are in their 20s, for them, Cold War is as ancient a history mm -hmm. as for you and me. World War I is ancient history. Right. Right? So that's a long time over. And yet the Cold War policy as an inertia, you are a man of science. The inertia was going on, chugging along, but the rationale was gone. And now the shift is taking place in American politics. Cold War is over. Trump says if Europe wants to defend itself, it better come up with the money and its equipment. That's it's why we like having you on the show. Salim, you remind us of why things are the way they were. If, if you only remember. If you only remember in a struggle for memory. Yeah. Many years ago, when I began to doubt the wisdom of this bloody war, I sent some questions to the Oracle at Delphi. My messenger returned with some answers. Now, if you are indeed who you say you are, then you must know these answers. You must know them firsthand. So tell me, did Apollo advise me to continue this siege? Yes. What began this battle? Paris stole Helen away from Sparta and brought her here to Troy. How did he come to take her? It began with a contest among the gods, goddesses, Venus, Juno, and... Minerva. Uh, there was a contest of beauty between them, and Jupiter was too wise to act as judge. Who did? Paris. He awarded the prize. A golden apple to Venus. And as a reward, Venus said she would give him the most beautiful mortal in the world, Helen. Do I dare take from Paris what Venus gave it? Yes. Because Minerva and Juno are on your side, and other gods as well. 
You among them. You are a thief, you know Paris. I am witness to that. We're back to that, are we? I stole you from your precious Greeks. I kidnapped you. I took you by force. As I remember it, you were sick of your husband and came away with me of your own will. You implored me, begged me. I couldn't shake you off. Thief and liar. You deny it. I deny that what I did was of my own will. You came with the help of someone or something that worked on my mind and destroyed my will. That made me want to come away with you. Was it poison? You know, you used poison on the arrow that killed Achilles. What was it that you used on me? Only love. Did I ever love you? Do I love you now? You'll learn. If I haven't learned in ten years, will I ever? You will, as soon as you understand that Troy will never fall. You're listening to Just Right. Please visit our website, justrightmedia.org, for a complete archive of all of our shows. And, Salim, we're talking about Donald Trump, of course, the GOP convention, and you've written to us saying that after Nice, Trump and Pence should have a lock on the November election. Why is that? Well, uh, it is a reflection on what Trump is standing in contrast to, I would suggest. And what he's standing in contrast to is the eight year of Obama administration. And we can go further back. But the last eight years of Obama administration, from the perspective of dealing with the challenges in terms of security, has been a remarkable failure. Obama's uh, presidency began with a tour of the Middle East. The first city that he visited was not Ottawa, which has been the historical nature of the presidents in America. When they go out after the inauguration, the first trip is to Ottawa. Obama went to Cairo. Well, of course, Ottawa had a conservative prime minister in power. At the time. He had a he had a conservative. That's true too, but or he went to Cairo. Remember, his Obama's presidency began with the campaign for president during the primacy when he went to Berlin. No, no candidate I I can recall in American political history had during their campaign season going to some foreign capital to to rouse up the crowd. So here was. Obama sending the signal that he was going to turn the page on American politics, that is American exceptionalism, America first, that he is going to be the first American president, which will also be the president for the rest of the world. Not only be the first black president, but the president who embraces the world. And in part of embracing that world would be to go and make apology to the world about all of America's sins. And so in 2009, he goes to Cairo. The other significance of that is that he's the man who will calm the waters. Remember the whole issue about environmental change? The sea will stop rising. He will calm the waters. The metaphor then of calming the waters, going to the Middle East, he is going to 
build a relationship with the Muslim world because he himself come from that background. His middle name is Hussein. That is 2009. Fast forward to now, 2016, end of 2016, the Middle East has exploded. It was well, not under, is, under George Bush's watch. It is totally exploded. This is what happens under any policy of detente with terrorism. That's right. It exploded. And it has exploded right on his face. But that explosion is not only in the Middle East. It is now taken in Europe. And it has come home to the United States. This man now represents the most divisive precedent in American politics when it comes to race relationship. American politics, of course, you know, from the beginning has been one in which race has been a dominant factor. You know, in last week's show, um, Bob and I laid the blame for the cop shootings in Dallas, Louisiana, Baton Rouge, squarely on the shoulders of the policies of this racist President Barack Hussein Obama, and um, you're 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 agreeing with that? Yeah, I agree with that. You know, instead of instead of calming the effect, he what he did was he scratched the surface deeper and deeper. He embraced Black Lives Matter. He brought those people into his office. He said that you know legitimizing them, legitimizing them that their grievances, their resentment, their complaints are justified. So if they are justified, then what is he saying? that the white America are bigoted and racist. Not that there may be some, some portion of white America that is bigoted and racist. Of course. So if white America is bigoted and racist, how does he become the president? Well, that, that was yes, the point exactly. raised before. And the other issue is, too, the fact that he is black, would you would think would have been evidence in of itself that any person can become a president in Precisely. the United States. America had turned the page on it. And instead of symbolizing that, he went back to blaming indirectly white America now, is, for continued racism. Is that his intended consequence or is that an unintended consequence of what's coming out of Obama's head? Because uh, in, the, in the case of Obama's head, it's an intended consequence because Obama, if you trace back, I mean, 2008, where John McCain and in 2012, where Mitt Romney failed, was to make Obama accountable for his biographical, that is, political detail. He comes from right from the heart of Solid that instance. movement. <laughs> yeah, the Black Lives Matter movement. He comes from that. His pastor was Jeremiah Wright. You know, he embraced all the people who were against the idea of American exceptionalism. So when he became the president, his entire campaign was to transform America. Well, part of the transforming America is to break down the old order. So this is intended consequences. He is deliberately pushed this argument, just as he has deliberately pushed the argument about the Islamic world, that he's not going to talk about Islam. He's not going to talk about Islamic terrorism, you know, instead of saying, yes, this is a problem because the Muslim leadership is talking about it. The Egyptian president, you know, Sisi, who overthrew the Muslim Brotherhood president, Morsi, well, what? Guess what? Obama has still remained supportive of the former president of uh, Egypt, Morsi. And not only that, just recently he came out in support of the Islamist Erdogan president uh, president of Uh, of Turkey. uh, Exactly, uh, Erdogan. Absolutely. So, and support of Saudi Arabia, support of of Iran. 
So while the, while the Muslims themselves are trying to fight and resist the Islamists, the American's president has been on the other side of the issue. And that's very confusing because even when we were watching the attempted coup in Turkey, I was sitting there, well, aren't, isn't it the good guys that are trying to do the coup and the bad guys who are in government? And that's based from our point of view anyway. Precisely. And, and it, it just seems that Obama's always on the wrong side. But what do you make then of the recent uh, reports about, for example, Tony Blair, uh, who is now apologizing himself for having invaded Iraq? And I don't know whether that apology is even a legitimate one in the sense of that everyone was acting on the information that they thought they knew, that they were being provided. And we can often make errors, but that doesn't make the decision at the time based on the information we had incorrect. Should they have known better that, you know, the weapons of mass destruction? Or was it more of a matter of principle? I always thought you shouldn't invade a country until it invades you. Well, there are two aspects to your question, Bob. One is about the argument that led to regime change in Iraq, that is, removal of Saddam Hussein. At that point in time, that is 2002-2003... You know, Trump has come out now saying they should have left him in there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, in your question, the way you framed it, and and the Chilcot report, you're talking about the Chilcot report, what about it? So let's separate the two. My view on the Chilcot report is that this is where the West has gone. We are living in the last 50 years with the cumulative tendency of the Western society dominated by the liberal left intellectuals and the politicians are then playing out that argument that we are guilty for all the problems of the world. This is the imperialism of guilt. So the Chilcot report, 15 years later, after spending something like 20 million pounds, comes out to say that Tony Blair was wrong and Tony Blair is responsible for that decision. So it took them 15 years and 20 million pounds retrospectively to come to the decision. Well, then not only Tony Blair is wrong, Churchill was wrong. Disraeli was wrong, all the way back to Jesus Christ was wrong, (laughs) all the way back to God himself was wrong, (laughs) that he made mankind. This is the absurdity we have come to. You see, Mm -hmm. politicians always are, politicians always, that is, when they're dealing with a crisis, they are dealing with the crisis at that instant in time. And nobody... And that's, what the, that's my point about the unintended consequences, if you read it, that, you know, it is the gods of history trying to tell us that you are conceited to think you are fully rational actor, fully forearmed and foresighted, that you know everything at that point in time, because you don't. You are a finite human creature. And there's course, infinite, and, 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 just hold on, infinite out there. In retrospect, you can go back and you can pull up the thread and say this happened, that happened. So my basic point to your question is Chilcot Report is actually an absolute vulgarism of where the West has come to. Instead of Shakespeare, we have Chilcot. Instead of philosophers like Locke and Russell, we have these people running around. So as I said, Churchill was wrong. Because, you know, Churchill was willing to negotiate with Stalin, Mm -hmm. which led to, you know, half of Europe 
being under uh, the Iron Curtain when the war ended. You it was Churchill who stood up in the House of Par Commons and said that if anybody who stands up against Hitler, be it the, de the devil, I will have a good word for him. So, so Bla Blair is now being thrown into the hands of the jackal. It's not the question of whether Blair is right wing or left wing. He was the prime minister of Britain. He made a decision. The decision was made upon a number of calculation that was both in the public domain and in the domain of the intelligence. Okay, intelligence is always by definition what we surmise to know in an imperfect world. At a particular time. At a particular time. And okay? even so, had he done nothing, we could still be sitting here talking about unintended consequences of That's him right. not No, you're, you're playing with the word unintended well, consequences and, into, and inflating it to everything. I just right. pointed out, you know, in a series no, of but things. But, to, but to not but, act no, hold on. In, 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 in 2002, 2003, when Blair was making that decision, he was making that decision in conjunction with the Americans, in conjunction with other members of the Security Council, and he was making a decision. The keystone of that decision was the special relationship with the United States. Remember that on 9-11 event, a week later, the President of the United States, who happened to be George Bush, went to the Congress to give the speech. It was a speech as even the fires were burning in New York and had been, been put. This was the first speech collecting the thoughts. And Blair flew to, United, to, to Washington to sit in the, in, in, in the chamber, in the Congress. You know who was missing? Jean Chrétien. So now in the abstract, 15 years later, Jean Chrétien can say he was always right. But Jean Chrétien but, uh, at the time came out and said America deserved it. Uh, uh, yeah, he actually uh, said that. Exactly. And, and he, was, he was... So now let's put the context here today. For the Liberal Party of Canada, multiculturalism and, and appeasing the vote has been much more important in the last 50 years than the issue of standing up for the values of the Western world. Of right and wrong, yes. Right and wrong. In the case of uh, Britain... It didn't matter whether you were a conservative prime minister, Thatcher, or you were a labor prime minister, Tony Blair. The, the special relationship with the United States has always been the keystone issue. And, and he said that we are going to be with you. Okay. Now Chilcott comes out 15, 20 years later and say, you know, Blair did this, Blair did that, and he sent the, the British troops into, into operation in Iraq, and we achieved nothing and all of this. Yes, Blair did that. But in, in 2002, 2003, he did that. He then went into election, and Blair was elected. He's a, so that means the people of Britain again voted for the party of which he was a leader. What does in a democracy it mean? It means the people voted. In 2004, the American people gave George Bush a second term. Listen, sis, I got a word of advice for you. Women in politics is like oil and gasoline. They don't mix. It's against nature. Why, Mr. Bunker, you sound like a male chauvinist. Right, an ordinary taxpayer. <laughs> now, you better stop running for public office and start running after a husband. Because I want to tell you from where I sit, you got some running to do. <laughs> now, just a minute. Because you ain't going to sell me none of your progressive pink or welfare ideas. Then what have you got against welfare? Everything. I am sick and tired of people like you giving away my hard-earned money 
to a bunch of families who ain't even related to me, which they couldn't be related to me for complexionary reasons, if you know what I mean. Are you related to any of the executives at Lockheed? Huh? Well, you must be because you're supporting them. What are you talking about? I'm talking about government subsidy. You're giving welfare to the rich. Welfare to the rich? Welfare, what is she Welfare? Nobody in this country needs welfare. We got the highest standard of living ever. And six to seven million people out of work. The grossest national product. <laughs> and an inflated economy. We got the strongest country on earth. Capable of being wiped out in 10 minutes by the second strongest country on earth. Not if we get them first, lady. If we launch, then they launch, and then we both go up. Boom! Will you tell me something? Why is it you liberals, no matter what subject you're talking about, you always get around to that? You guys got more ways for the world to end than a dog's got fleas. And you guys got a way of wrapping up any discussion with one simplistic line that sounds good, satisfies you, and, and solves nothing. Want to do me a favor? What? Scram. <laughs> Salim, keeping with the theme of elections and the will of the people, um, we saw the Brexit vote come down a little while ago. Again, the will of the people expressed through the ballot box and its intended consequence of Britain leaving the European Union. We haven't had the chance to ask you your thoughts on Brexit. What are they? Well, I mean, uh, in, in, in the larger theme of what we have been talking in this past hour, uh, Brexit vote, the vote for Trump, uh, what's happening in Europe, is a demonstration that there's a huge crack-up in Western democracies between the people and the establishment. This disconnect has been growing over time, and now finally we are seeing the result. That is, the establishment the elite in the West have opted for a post-nationalist world in which the nation-state, their own nation-states don't count, whether it is Britain, whether it is Germany, whether it is France, of course the United States. What count is this abstract notion that we are part of a global family, globalism, you know, the trade is global, uh, a borderless world. That's what the elite have been speaking about for the last generation or more. That's what our students are growing up with. You go around kind of with young people. Kind of confusing free trade with identity. I would suggest that it's yeah. been going on since 1917 when people got upset with the establishment of the czar. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you can always go back. But, I mean, we are talking about a specific time frame that we are dealing with. You know, in that sense, politics is perennial. You know, and so there's generational mm -hmm. change and so on and so forth. But in, in this context, we are talking about globalism and a borderless world distinctly different in notion and therefore in policy term than nation states. And you protect nation states because that's what your identity, your history, your values belong to. I am a Canadian, you know. I don't belong to a borderless world. You know, or I'm an American, I'm a Briton. So the Brexit vote finally shows up. Uh, Britain joined the European Union, the whole idea that Britain will be part of this emerging new borderless Europe. 
like the United States, and the capital of Europe is going to be Brussels. The parliament is in Stuttgart, and the European parliament, the European bureaucrats are going to make decisions for the individual member state. But Britain has been a country longer than any other country in Europe. It goes all the way back to Magna Carta. Its identity, its politics, the people have grown up with its language, its icons. And so the people went along for a while till the consequences built up, the unintended consequences, the movement of people, the traffic, the decision-making, the loss of sense of power of the parliament, and all of that built up to the moment we come to now the vote, the referendum. And the elite banked on the idea that the people will go along with the elite notion. The people rejected it. Same thing has happened in America. The elite, that is the Washington elite, the Washington insiders, it didn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you played the game, you were together. Trump stood out and said, NAFTA is basically deindustrializing America. Trump stood out and said, we borderless world, the borderless America has ended up with these illegal aliens, undocumented Americans, or however you want to call it. They've broken the laws, and this is where it happened. They, 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 they have become now an immense economic and security threat to America. This is happening in Germany. This is happening in France. So in that sense, what I was pointing out to, the Brexit war is not an anomaly. It is part of that historical moment in our time, the taking back of our country. It's part of the perfect storm. It is part of the perfect storm in the sense that the people are finally fed up and they're enraged. They see their lives are in danger. They see they couldn't walk in the streets of Nice. They were celebrating a, uh, France's Independence Day, Bastille Day. Fireworks had taken place. People are out. Nice is one of the iconic cities in the Western world, on the Mediterranean. That's where, you know, the actors, the, the film stars, the celebrities, they all gather. And here, on the evening of July the 14th, Bastille Day, people are strolling down the promenade, and there comes an Islamist terrorist, a soldier sewn to ISIS, and mows down over a hundred people. Okay? That's what happened. People go into Orlando. They're going into a bar. They're having a nice time on a weekend. A guy walks in there and shoots it up. People are in Bataclan in Paris. And it is stormed and taken over. Or in Brussels. Or in Istanbul, in Turkey, where there was an attack on the airport before the school. Right. Or in Dhaka, in Bangladesh. So this is, this is global. People are not secure in their own homes. People are, they don't know whether the children will come back from school. Now, all, all of these incidents you mentioned are symptoms of a bigger cause. And you talk about a perfect storm, and, and I'm thinking of the perfect storm troopers, if you would, being the, the, the left-wing intelligentsia that nevertheless, I've noticed, for example, that it seems the same people who are opposed to Trump are the ones opposed to Brexit and are opposed to a lot of these changes that the public seems to want. Exactly. Is that who we're fighting more than these, you know, these single incident type of people or even Islamism? Is the problem internal I mean, more than external? I, I think what, what is happening is 
the, the main institutions of the West is disconnected with the people. We process information through what? By reading the mainstream media or watching the mainstream television or listening to the mainstream radio. Well, the fourth so, estate so, so, certainly hasn't been giving us th the real news lately, that's for well, sure. Well, this is it. They, they package it on the basis of their own value system. And that value system is what I'm pointing out, is a value system about the United Nation, about the borderless world, about globalism. Uh, and the people have been processing and been receiving that information for the last 30 years, 40 years, and finally they said enough is enough. But nobody is representing the people's voice. Maybe you are the two bobs, you know, we are sitting and talking about it. But this conversation is not taking place in the mainstream media. Okay? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> so the mainstream media will catch up or they will change when a new elite comes along. You see, the outsider becomes the insider. So Trump, the outsider who raised the campaign against the insider, if he becomes the president, he'll become the insider. That's well, true. He'll be the new establishment. Well, that's, that's <laughs> what you know, everybody, everybody says. You know, he's going to do away with the establishment when really he is going to replace the but establishment. But that's what happened. Right. And that's, 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 that's exactly what happened in history. Exactly. But, but the problem that, in, in a sense, you're pointing out are the nitpickers. The nitpickers will keep on nitpicking. There is the story out there that Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, which was first published in 1987, which is, in a sense, his signature book. But it was ghostwritten because these are ghostwritten books. The book is about Trump's personal memoir, story about his life. And now this, this ghostwriter has come out saying that Trump is the wrong man. And the nitpickers among us are running around and saying, well, the guy who wrote the book is now saying Trump is a bad guy. <laughs> well, 30 years ago, when the book was published in 1987, this guy who was a ghostwriter took the money from Trump to write the book. Now, obviously, he's taking money from somebody else to say that Trump is the bad guy. And the what credibility does he have? The nitpickers <laughs> are also talking about Melania Trump's speech, you know, where she said a few lines that uh, Michelle Obama said. Exactly. And, Rather and, than and, attack and, Trump. Exactly. And, and, the, and the question about plagiarism, well, uh, we live in a world swamped with words, you know, that can be instantly brought up in our Google and phrases. Facebook, and and and. Just think back. We, we, are, we are all, in some sense, scribblers, all three of us. Just think back. What is the new thing we are saying that has not been said before? Mm. I think that's the whole point of this show, yeah. after going back in history, is yeah. that it's all been done before, and it's all either a rehash or a, a reconvergence, if you will, on different themes. A restatement. A restatement. Uh, 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 everything about Shakespeare then is Shakespeare was the greatest plagiarist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a great way to end the show again. Thanks again for joining us, Salim. And we hope the rest of you will join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. See you then. Fade into color. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Hi, Mr. Barlow. Oh, hello, Lionel. Hi, everybody. Hi, Lionel. Yeah, we're just getting ready to go out and vote. Oh, well, I'm glad I caught you because I'm here to do a little campaigning. Mr. Bunker, I would like you to vote for D'Angelo for City Council. Yeah, what are you doing rooting for an Italian? Oh, no, he's black. Here's his picture. Hey, look at this. 
Smith. What's this guy doing with an Italian name? Oh, the usual thing, putting it on his letterbox, on his checks. I mean, how come a colored guy's got a name like D'Angelo? Well, it gets confusing, doesn't it? You know, there's a lot of black people named white and a lot of white people named black. Well, just the other day, I was delivering some cleaning to a family named Rockefeller. Black? No, white. Sometimes it works out just right. 